Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Golden Twenties. My name is Tegan, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sadie. Hello. And we have an episode that we're very excited about this Tuesday. It's all of the career advice you've likely never been given as a woman. And obviously, being in your 20s, this is the start of your career and kind of like the prime advice receiving time. And so we thought it was perfect to maybe highlight some things that you probably haven't been told and to just sort of bring awareness to what it is to be a woman in the workplace. So even if you're listening and you're a man or not a woman, I still think that you will get some interesting insights on how to support Mm -hmm. the women in your life. So yeah, I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah. And some of the advice I recently stumbled upon or has been put in front of me at the exact perfect timing I needed to hear it. It does relate regardless of your gender. I think yeah. for the pieces I'm going to talk about, it's just that for men, it's obvious that this advice is given to them and like they hear this all the time mm-hmm. where women, not so much and they're told different right. advice. So I think regardless of your gender, we have something in this episode for you. And like you said, Tag, I think it is also just building that awareness and just like having the perspective of even if it's not your work experience, like other people in the workplace, especially as you move up and maybe start managing a team one day or whatnot. It's just like good things to be aware of in the workplace because I feel half of your job is doing your actual work and the rest is kind of like the politics and like maneuvering through a company Mm. to advance your career. So we're going to talk all about that today. And it's both, it's a topic both Tegan and I get extremely excited and passionate about. We're both extremely Mm -hmm. ambitious in our jobs. Our jobs are important to us. So if I start yelling at you guys, it's just because I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Well, did you maybe want to start off with some of the advice that you wish you'd been told or haven't been told or want to share with the listeners, Sadie? Yes. So I think I'll start this by saying that I work for a company that is very female dominated. At least we're part of a larger corporation where the parent company is in the US and that's not so much as female, but the Canadian side of the business is very female. The president of our company is female. The CFO is a female. Like our executive Mm -hmm. leadership team are a whole bunch of boss-ass women. And it's part of the reason (laughs) I love this company and why I came back after leaving for two years. So I have never really experienced gender bias in the workplace at this company. I have at other companies, but the piece of advice that I'm going to go on about, it actually came from the president of the company I work for. And she shared this link to a TED talk that, I don't know, sometimes I feel like leaders just send out TED talks and they're like, oh yeah, this is great. You should listen to it (laughs) as like a way to kind of like engage the team, whatever. So I clicked on it with very little hopes of it actually resonating or being meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I'll just have this on in the background as I, you know, click away and do whatever work I'm working on today. 
but it captivated me so much. And it was literally called career advice you've likely never been given or something along those lines. And it's hosted Mm -hmm. or the TED Talk is by a woman named Susan Colin Tuono. I'm not exactly sure how to say her last name, but she is a CEO of Leading Women, a management consulting firm that empowers women. She works to uncover hidden gender biases and to help managers and executives think more deeply about the role gender plays in the workplace. So obviously, she's qualified to have this talk and has done lots of research and, you know, like taken workplaces and different people of different positions and different power into like case studies to analyze. And it was so fascinating what she found. And we can link the actual TED Talk. I think it's like 13 to 15 minutes long on our Instagram Mm -hmm. or social media accounts. But the gist of what she was saying is that women typically can land the job and we can work our way up to middle management. There's, you know, there's still obviously some gender bias and like unfairness that comes with that part. But for the most part, you know, we're 2022, women can get jobs and we can make it up to middle management. However, where we get stuck is getting past middle management and actually getting into like top leadership roles at companies. And like you said, Tig, we're obviously in our 20s. So none of us are there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's starting their career as vice president of marketing (laughs) at any company. (laughs) But I feel like Mm -hmm. for me, this advice hit me right at the time where I'm now in a manager role and I'm starting to shift my perspective on what I need to focus on and what I need to, what skills I need to refine as I kind of like continue to move forward. So these types of leaders, you know, we're talking about like director levels, we're talking about those vice presidents, even C-suite positions, those are still predominantly Mm -hmm. men. So her whole TED talk is about closing the gender gap at the top. And she was saying how there's kind of three important parts to your leadership skills every leader needs, regardless of their gender. The first is to use the greatness in you, which is essentially just you need to be really good at your job. You need to know like the back of your hand. You need to, you know, be Mm -hmm. able to manage the day to day and do it really well. The second is to engage the greatness in others. And this is essentially you need the people skills to manage a team. So using the greatness in you to engage the greatness in others. And all of a sudden, you know, your team can also output really great work, looks good on you as a leader. Mm -hmm. The third bucket is achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes. And this is a fancy way to say that this, as a leader, you need to be able to identify and deliver kind of the business strategy, the business objectives, financial goals, and that whole side of the business. So this is business strategic and financial acumen. And it's understanding how your role contributes to the company achieving these objectives, achieving these financial targets, and how you're, you know, actively participating and moving the company forward. And this is the kind of section that she's identified as the missing 33% of women and why women are not making it past middle management is because this piece of the leadership skills are what we're missing. And it's because of the advice that women are given in the workplace. So conventionally, women are given advice such as be confident and assertive, learn to speak up. We're taught to set goals. We're turned, we're sorry, trained how to set goals, you know, like our whole smart goal setting. We're good at that. Mm -hmm. We're told to have a personal brand. We're told to like promote 
our personal brand to self-promote, you know, make sure everyone knows we're doing a great job. We're also told to learn how to negotiate and have communication skills, get a mentor, network, you know, like these are all really personable skills that we're told to focus on. And this is really the personal skills that get you to middle management. However, what was interesting, and she really talks about this in this TED Talk, is that none of the advice that women are given, which I just went through some like conventional pieces of advice that were given as women, none of them speak to business. And she had this really interesting case study where even once we get a mentor as women, the advice that our mentors are giving us is bias based off our gender without our mentor even knowing it. So she had Mm -hmm. this, so we're getting a very different experience. We're getting very different advice and therefore we're getting very different skills and output from those mentorship relationships. So she had um, this quote from a global company executive, which I know is extremely like general, but he said, I had two protégés, a man and a woman. I helped the woman build confidence and the man learned the business. I didn't realize I was treating them differently. And I find that so interesting because I think of, you know, just like men in social settings, like they're always just talking business. They're just talking things through where women, like as soon as a woman enters the chat or like enters the meeting, Mm -hmm. it's just like the um, whole strategic side of it, the financial side of it, all of that kind of gets removed from the conversation. And we're not even really given the opportunity to engage in that part of the conversation. Plus coming from your mentor, you know, oh yeah, of course I'm going to teach the men the business and I'm going to teach the woman how to be assertive and like all these other skills where me personally, like I'm a very assertive person. (laughs) I'm very confident. Like I don't need mentorship on that, but just because I'm a woman that might skew, you know, the advice that I'm given. So that's kind of what her whole TED Talk really revolves around. I also found it extremely interesting because she said women are also given access to these things like leadership classes and mentorship, you Mm -hmm. know, relationships and whatnot. But on the leadership classes side of things, a lot of leadership courses focus on those personal skills that we were just talking about. So time management, project management, you know, team management, you also don't really get that business acumen side of things from leadership classes or courses. So we can't just rely on that by saying, you know, like, okay, I'm taking all these leadership courses, but I'm still being passed on promotions and whatnot. Like, why is that? So it is really kind of you seeking out, you know, how can you get involved in the more strategic and financial side of things? And how can you actively, you know, of course, advocate for yourself, but kind of in your role, how can you show that you're actually contributing to these things? You actually care about these things. You understand these things. Mm -hmm. So one of the tips she had, and I think this is like something we've talked about when it comes to writing your resume and things like that, but I think it's something to be extremely mindful of in your work as well is to include, you know, the financial impact of the projects you're working on, especially when you're presenting Mm -hmm. to managers and leaders, you know, like make sure you're showing you understand the business objectives. This is how the project contributed to those objectives or to contributed to the company's overall goal. This is the financial impact it had, like, because 
again, we're not really given the opportunity to engage in those conversations. So just kind of kickstart that conversation from the get go to show, you know what you're talking about and to kind of start building that skill set within yourself. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like, yeah, I, it's almost as if the expectation, like you were saying, for men and women is different. And for women, it's very true that you're taught to prioritize like your social skills Mm -hmm. in the workplace more than your business skills, which like, I'm not a man, but I'm assuming that they're not taught to focus on their social skills. Yeah, I'm guessing by the way, some men treat me in the workplace (laughs) or maybe that's just the people I work with, but it's, I don't know. I see a big difference there. Yeah. And she actually also mentions that kind of the other side of it where you're saying, you know, men don't focus on the social Mm -hmm. skills. It's also, she mentions in her Ted talk that when she asked a group of people, you know, who has been told that you need to focus on the business, men were like, obviously like, without a doubt. Obviously I've been told that all the time. And obviously I know that's important where hardly any women in that group were like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I've been directly told that. So I think even if it's, you know, men aren't purposely neglecting the social skills, they're just kind of, I want to say favoring, but that's not quite the right word. The business side of things where that doesn't even cross a woman's mind, you know? Yeah. Well, that kind of perfectly goes into the sort of like it's not necessarily advice but more just like context I guess that Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up and so I've been reading this book called Burnout the Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle Mm. and it's by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski and it's literally just sort of like a self-help book focused on how as women you can try to get out of the burnout cycle and it's very like science backed so the entire idea behind the book is like if you've tried you know meditating and green smoothies and you're still feeling stressed that's me read this book (laughs) yep (laughs) I was like okay this is perfect for the podcast because that's basically what we talk about (laughs) and so Full disclosure, I haven't finished the book yet, but in the very first chapter, there was a moment that sort of like stood out to me because they talk about why is this book specifically for women? Why are women dealing with burnout so much more than men? And they talk about the human giver syndrome. So the human giver syndrome is the false contagious belief that women have a moral obligation to be pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others. With human giver syndrome, if a giver falls short in any way, she may be punished or go so far as to punish herself. So basically, There are two classes of humans, human beings and human givers. Human givers are expected to offer their time, attention, affection, and bodies willingly to the other class of people. So guess which ones are the women in this case? Whereas human beings have a moral obligation to be or to express their humanity, human givers have the moral obligation to give their humanity to the human beings. Human givers must never be ugly, angry, upset, ambitious, or attentive to their own needs. And so it's important to point out that it's not the giving part 
of that that's bad obviously it's good to think about other people and to help other people and Mm -hmm. you know to be supportive to the people in your life the toxic part is the other half of the equation that someone else's sense of entitlement to everything a woman has her attention her time her affection her hopes dreams her body her very life and I feel like this has definitely been true where you're in a situation and you feel as though the men in your life think that you're worthy of their attention. Whereas there are lots of women in my life who do not feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so this causes unrealistic expectations in women from the perspective of men and obviously of women themselves. So if you ever feel like you're not doing enough, it could be rooted in this. Or if you're focusing too much on your work, but you're, you know, single or you're focusing too much on your work, but you haven't been able to get your hair done in a year because you've been too busy and you feel guilty about it. That's probably rooted in this human giver syndrome. And I'm going to insert this quote from the show Fleabag, where it's basically a monologue about how women have pain built into their lives. Listen, I was in an airplane the other day and I realized, well, I, I mean, I've been longing to say this out loud. So. Women are born with pain built in. It's our physical destiny. Period pains, sore boobs, childbirth, you know. We carry it within ourselves throughout our lives. Men don't. They have to seek it out. They invent all these gods and demons and things so they can feel guilty about things, which is something we do very well on our own. And then they create wars so they can feel things and touch each other. And when there aren't any wars, they can play rugby. And we have it all going on in here, inside. We have pain on a cycle for years and years and years, and then, Just when you feel you are making peace with it all, what happens? The menopause comes, the fucking menopause comes, and it is the most wonderful fucking thing in the world. And yes, your entire pelvic floor crumbles and you get fucking hot and no one cares, but then you're free no longer a slave, no longer a a machine with parts. You're just a person in business. And so notice how in office culture, men simply get to show up, do their work and go home. And sometimes they get to do their work, not even that well. And it's all good. Whereas the expectation is that women, for example, take care of the social events at work. They're the ones who are doing the cleanup. They're the ones who, if someone's crying, they're making sure that they're okay before their work gets done. Mm -hmm. And so they're making sure other needs are accounted for on top of trying to do their own work and often for less money. So this is just kind of like a reminder that that's the system that you're working in and you're allowed to be selfish and to focus on yourself before others and to protect yourself and not give away your attention and your body And yeah, and doing so is a direct attack on the patriarchy. So if you're doing it, hell yeah, keep it up. (laughs) And yeah, I know like it feels bad, but you have to take care of yourself sometimes. And so, as I said before, it's not the giving that's the bad part. Continue Mm -hmm. to 
be giving and caring, just also make sure you're prioritizing yourself. Like there's this quote from Mad Men that I also really love. And it says, and no one will tell you this, but you can't be a man. So don't even try. Be a woman. It's a powerful business when done correctly. Mm-hmm. And I love that because oh, I love that. It's, so much. Yeah. Like, obviously, don't show up as, you know, the mediocre white man in your life. Still do your best. Still be caring. But do it in a smart and powerful way and make it work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's so much there that, like, I just yeah. want to, like, continue to research this because I feel like there's so much that's, like, yeah. kind of on, like, just conventional gender roles, you know, just women being nurturing. Yeah. I think that's kind of rooted in this whole idea, mm-hmm. too, and I find that interesting. I also was thinking, even outside of work, like, I'm not in a relationship, but even thinking of mm-hmm. my family, my sisters, my parents – And their relationship, so this is, you know, not directly about work, but how they function with their boyfriends and my mom with her husband and how, you know, it's always kind of the woman at home or the mom who takes Mm -hmm. care of the entire family. And obviously this isn't the case for everyone. We're not saying all men are shit and useless. (laughs) There's, you know, really great (laughs) men out there too. We know, you know, we know some men are on Pinterest meal planning at the same time I am. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that, but it's just interesting how it kind of defaults to women in most cases and it Mm -hmm. defaults to mom to do the family planning even though she's also you know the director of marketing at this job and she has you know then she gets to work and she has to take care of her work team because she's also the mom at work and it's just like yeah yeah no wonder we reach burnout you know because how are we Mm -hmm. as women supposed to take care of everybody else and who's taking care of us so I think it's such great awareness And I think the whole part of feeling guilty is something I struggle with. Again, Mm -hmm. a lot, even in my personal relationships is I give a thousand percent to all my friends, my sisters, my mom. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I only can give you 90% today and the other 10% is on me. And now I feel guilty. I feel selfish. Like, and it's like, it's fine. Like if you give a thousand percent most of the time, and sometimes you need to scale it back to like, even yeah. 50%, like, that's fine. You know, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And we're big advocates of you got to fill your cup to overflow and fill someone else's cup. So I feel it's kind of also the basic yeah. principle <laughs> of this. Yeah. <laughs> My next and last piece of advice that's recently found me that I'm obsessed with. This one I'm obsessed with more than the first one. So I definitely save the best for last. <laughs> It's also, there's also a whole book on it. The book is called Mm. Strategize to Win. And the author is Carla Harris. And I was not familiar with Carla Harris. It could be because I'm Canadian. You know, I'm not brushed up on my Mm. Wall Street people. But Carla Harris is vice chairman of wealth management and senior client advisor at Morgan Stanley. She was chair of the Morgan Stanley Foundation from 2005 to 2014 and sits on the boards of several community organizations. In 2013, Carla was appointed by President Barack Obama to chair national women's business, to chair the national business women's business council. I'm so excited that I can't even read her intro, but essentially she is 
just an absolute boss. She worked on Wall Street. She's still on Wall Street, just I think like partially retired, but she was on Wall Street for over 30 years. And she's wrote numerous books. Like I said, the one that I'm going to reference or what I'm going to reference is from her book called Strategize to Win. I haven't read it, but it is on my list just based off this advice that I've heard. And I heard this advice. I think I actually referenced this in a past work episode. I joined this Toronto networking kind of group for women and I went to this webinar and somebody mentioned Carla Harris and kind of mentioned this very basic idea of performance currency and relationship currency. And I'm going to dig into that in a minute, but I was fascinated. She just kind of breezed over it as she answered one of the questions in this like webinar slash panel. And I was like, wow, I'm so fascinated with this. I think the question she was asked was about, you know, maneuvering through management and getting promotion as a woman of color. And Carla Harris is also a woman of color. So the source, I was like, okay, I need Mm -hmm. to look into this. But I feel, again, regardless if you're a woman, man, white, regardless of like your race, I think this advice relates, will um, (laughs) be relatable to you or applies (laughs) to you. Sorry, guys, I'm like half asleep. But I promise I'm I'm going to power through this. So what Carla believes is that having a sponsor, so somebody to advocate for you, is the most important relationship in your professional journey slash your career. So like I said, this mm-hmm. is somebody, hopefully your boss, but it might not be your boss. It might be another leader within the organization, somebody who works on a different team but knows how great you are at your job, somebody essentially, who is going to go to big decision-making meetings at your company and vouch for you. They know the work that you can do. They know you're capable of taking on more. They know that you are the right person for the opportunity being discussed, the promotion that's being discussed, whatever. So this is Mm -hmm. Carla's number one thing is you need a sponsor of some sort. I don't like the word sponsor, but we will roll with it. So This sponsor, obviously, like I was saying, is somebody who has a seat at the decision-making table, and they argue passionately, these are Carla's words, they argue passionately on Mm. your behalf when you're not in the room. So, and often when they're discussing many candidates at a time. So basically, what sets you apart? You know, why is your name being tossed into the conversation over Billy Bob Joe or whatever? So she has these (laughs) two parts of what you kind of need to focus on and when you focus on them in your career. And I already told you that it's performance currency and relationship currency. And guys, this is this advice found me at the exact right time, and I'll explain why. So the first piece is performance currency. And essentially, this currency is generated by you delivering what is asked of you and a little bit extra. So this is, like you said, Ted, kind of like as women, you know, we're doing our job, we're doing it extremely well, and maybe we're also coordinating some things outside of work or whatever, maybe even if we're not doing anything extra, but we're just doing our own tasks extremely well. We're over delivering. We're like exceeding the timelines. Like things are going super fast, flawless execution. This is performance currency. And why it's valuable is because it will get you noticed and it'll build your reputation. Mm -hmm. So your boss is going to know Tegan's a super hard worker. She always gets her job done on time. She over delivers. Everything's extremely organized. Like your boss takes notice of those things. 
as well as your cross-functional team members and your peers, and they start to build your reputation off of that. They know they can trust you because you're a hard worker. They know you're reliable, all of those sorts of things. So this is what will help you start to earn raises and start to earn promotions, and it might be what attracts a sponsor. So again, that person who's going Mm -hmm. to advocate for you. What I find so interesting, and Carla mentions this, is that performance currency is especially important early in your career. So it's kind of when you're making a name for yourself, you're getting all this experience. This is when you really need to focus on just learning your job, learning it inside and out, and learning to be the very best at your job. However, eventually this becomes the norm, you know, being an overachiever. And if you're an overachiever at work, you're probably like, oh God, yep, I'm, I'm here. Like, this is the norm. Now (laughs) I thought I was over delivering, doing something special, but now this is what people expect of me and it's a new standard. So it kind of wears off a little bit. So this is the one side of things. So this is the performance currency. On the other hand, I'm going to flip to relationship currency And what this is, is as you work your way up, this currency is what kind of becomes even more important than your performance currency. And relationship currency is investments you make in the people at work. So connecting, engaging, and getting to know the people in your environment and your teams, but it's also giving them the opportunity to get to know you. So at a minimum, you obviously need to build relationships with your boss and your team, but you should also be building relationships with cross-functional teams. And why Carla says this is because your boss, if he's your sponsor and he's the only one or she, I'm here I am saying like gender biased things, your (laughs) boss might be a woman and I hope it is, (laughs) but he or she might leave the company one day and then your sponsor, the one person who knew how great you were at your job is gone and there's nobody else to advocate Mm. for you. So Carla makes a point of saying you need to build these relationships across the organization and like many of them so that you're never all mm-hmm. one eggs in one basket type of thing. So building, you know, sure. these relationships with cross-functional teams is as simple as sharing your ideas, discussing ideas, doing things to like build credibility, helping people out here and there. And, you know, you they know you've got your back, their back, you know they have yours kind of thing. So it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, making sure your boss knows you're doing a good job. It extends past that. So what I, where the story kind of took a turn for me was Carla was saying, you can do your job extremely well. However, and you know, if other people know you're doing your job extremely well, that's great. But again, it comes down to somebody mm-hmm. being there to advocate for you. And what she said is, it's so interesting. And the importance again of having a sponsor is how you're career is always based on someone else's judgment. It's always based on somebody Mm -hmm. else thinking you have what it takes for this role. It's based on someone else thinking, even if you don't have, you know, the experience, you at least have something that makes them believe you can do it. And she was saying that judgments are influenced by relationships. And this is why relationship currency becomes so important. So how do you kind of build, I guess, relationship currency is obviously through the frequency of touch is what she calls it. So, you know, people you're working with a lot, you start to build relationships with them, regular interactions, but also through shared experiences and like having things to discuss. 
So what is interesting, though, unlike performance currency, is that relationship currency never reaches diminishing returns. Like, you will never there will never come a point where you have too many relationships where you can't advance your career. You know what I mean? Where on the other mm-hmm. hand, if you do your, a super great job and you just focus on that and have no relationships, you can reach a point of like diminishing returns with performance currency. So is this kind of making sense? I feel I'm not doing a great job explaining it because I am like slightly falling asleep, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I will also link Carla's talk because it's just so great. Another key piece of not having diminishing returns is that once you have relationship currency with people, and again, you build all these connections, it's what motivates people to act on your behalf. And I feel like you we all know the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, or you know, you reach a point in your career where it's all about who you know, who you know, who you know. I think relationship currency is that to a T, is even if you're not in the room and somebody's talking about for instance, I work in social media marketing. So if somebody's talking to my friend about, or my colleague about opening a business and they need somebody who's good at social media, you know, built, based off the relationship I built with this person, they might just toss my name into that ring and all the, into that conversation. And all of a sudden yeah. we're using that relationship currency for me to advance my career, for me to get a new opportunity. So I think you can kind of mm-hmm. see how, you know, building relationships impacts people's judgment at the decision table, but also just opens up like a whole other side of kind of networking and that whole taps really into like, it's all about who you know. I mm-hmm. also love Carla has this quote that says, you can't let your work speak for you. Work doesn't speak. And this just goes mm-hmm. again to say people speak, you know, you can do your job really well, but if you're not telling people about it, if you're not building those relationships, that's all it's going to be yeah. is just a really fire presentation, a really fire project. And that's kind of where it'll die off. Where we kind of get now into the gender side of things, and this, I need to read the book just based off of this to dive deeper into it, is that women tend to overinvest in performance currency. We show up, we work really hard, we overdeliver, we exceed expectations, you know, and we just expect our work to speak for itself. And I can speak to this like from past experience. I'm not the one to be like, hey guys, look what I did today. Cause again, it's just like over delivering or like overperforming becomes my norm. And then that's what I just expect from myself. And then I assume that's what other people expect of me too. So I'm not out there tuning my own horn. I'm just like, I'm doing a really good job and that's going to get, you know, get noticed and that's going to get me to where I want to go. However, relationships are what will obviously, as we just discussed about, bring your hard work to fruition and bring your career to the next level. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. men start to invest in relationships very early on in their careers. And from what Carla was saying, it's almost simultaneous as they are creating performance currency. So they're building the two Mm -hmm. side by side. And if you need, you know, somebody to advocate for you, I think it goes without saying men kind of have like that jump start on things. And I think this is why, yeah. Teg, you mentioned, you know, there might be a guy at work that comes into work, just does the bare minimum. He's not doing anything yeah. great, but he's getting promotions. He's advancing. He's moving yeah. along his career faster. I've experienced this in my career. 
I'm like, he's not anything special. What do they see that I don't see? And it's the relationship side of things. He's, it's not just that he's saying the right thing at the right time, which is what I've kind of said to myself. It's that he's built Mm -hmm. relationships with the right people who are part of the right conversations. And that's what's getting him ahead. So I think this is extremely relevant for me. Like I said, I've kind of made my way to like that middle management position we were talking about at the very beginning of this episode. And I just got there. So I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn on the whole people management, the business acumen side of things. But I'm going to just wrap this whole part of the episode up with a quote from none other than Carla Harris herself. And it says, if you're a senior level woman who has been with a company for a long period of time and are trying to move to the next level, AKA me in a few years time, you'll have to focus (laughs) disproportionately on building relationship currency. Your currency as a performer has already been established in the organization and offers you diminishing marginal returns at this stage of your career. Your upside is in creating stronger relationship currency. So if I lost you, go check out her book, Strategize to Win by Carla Harris. She's also done a whole bunch of like women's conferences and business conferences that you can find on YouTube. So Mm -hmm. if this is like resonating or starting to get like, you know, the wheels in your head turning, go check it out because she has so many good talks on this topic. Yeah. Well, I love that. I mean, I feel like that's relatable, at least in my career, like my very first job myself and a man were hired for the same role at the exact same time. And eventually, even though I did all of my work, I was fired and he was kept because Mm. he, they thought fit in more socially. And so It was literally nothing to do with the actual work. It was that he once pulled an all-nighter to party with his boss, Mm -hmm. who obviously then was that sponsor for him. Mm -hmm. And that's like black and white, exactly like what she's sort of talking about. Yeah. And I hate to bring up Mad Men again, but it is like my favorite (laughs) show for like career growth, especially for women. But they literally have an entire episode where Peggy, one of the main characters, can't figure out why all of the men are friendlier and they're coming up with ideas together. And it's because they have that relationship and Mm -hmm. they're hanging out outside of work, which she didn't really feel comfortable with, but decides that that's what she's going to do to build her career. And that's what makes her stand out from everyone else because she has the good ideas and the work to back it up. But then she builds the relationships and has the sponsor. Yeah. 100%. This is maybe not going to hit for everybody, but if you grew up playing sports or watching sports movies or, you know, you had a sibling who played sports, I feel like you can maybe resonate with the whole idea of team bonding and, I know I've talked about Coach Carter in the past, but (laughs) essentially (laughs) that's kind of the whole premise of Coach Carter is like taking, you know, a team that's not that great, building relationships. They obviously focus on like their schoolwork and like other things, but they start to take it seriously. But it's like so much team bonding that goes into it. That's what makes the team great and like go on to like the championships, whatever. And I feel like I've even seen that, you know, in – 
my sister's basketball like life and whatnot. So this is again outside of work, but it's just like for you to kind of like visualize the importance of relationship is like when you, you know, have team bonding, if it's a basketball team, if it's your work team outside of work hours. And I know we dread that. I dread it too. But eventually once it's no longer forced (laughs) and becomes fun, (laughs) like, yes, those are the types of relationships. And like once you establish those relationships, that's what's going to make your relationships at work or playing the sport, whatever, you know, your initial draw to like form this group of people is, you're going to perform better once you're all on the same team and like are more bonded together through those out of work, like social outings and whatnot. So I don't know. It is interesting. I feel like I go through ups and downs with this, like, yeah, where I'm like, yeah, I'll go hang out with all the work people and, Mm. you know, go out for drinks, whatever. But it's like, I don't want to do this all the time or like, you know, virtual get togethers were so draining through the pandemic and stuff. And like, I absolutely dreaded those, but I don't know, there is some value in it. So I think even if you're somebody who also hates it, like, I don't know if you have to go all the time, but like make an effort to go at least some of the time because there's relationships being built there that you're missing out on for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and like at my first job, which I got fired from, there was a more senior person who worked there who did not attend a single work event outside of like he showed up, he worked by himself and he left. But someone told me it's because he put in the time, he built the relationships. Mm -hmm. So everyone, even though he doesn't attend those events anymore, they associate him still with like being the fun guy, the friend, like right. they have like the relationship the built. Before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate probably because of trauma due to being fired, yeah. but in, especially when you're new at a job, like sign up for the activities, be the friend to people because it, I find it makes your job more enjoyable, but it also mm-hmm. makes you seem like a team player. And I don't know, but it yeah. is also frustrating that work isn't about the work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think too, especially working from home, like I could go on a whole other tangent, probably not tonight since I'm clearly at a like stumbling (laughs) over my words point of the night. But I think, you know, working from home where you're not getting that FaceTime with important decision makers Mm -hmm. or with your team, it can be really hard to establish those relationships. So if there are team get-togethers in person or those virtual events even if they aren't that like fun make sure you're showing up like especially like you said Tay when you're joining a new job make sure you're building those relationships from the get-go because the men probably are (laughs) but yeah make sure you put in even more of an effort when it's work from home because it requires more effort than just like we're at the office you know shooting the shit talking Mm -hmm. about our weekends and it's just naturally flowing like work from home, you have to seek out these opportunities. 100%. Yeah. And to tag, I think that's actually, obviously it really sucks that they, that happened to you where they chose your, their co your coworker over you. I think I talked about Mm -hmm. it in a way of like, who's getting promoted, but what it comes down to is there's always, you know, multiple people 
in the conversation for one opportunity. Mm -hmm. If it's who's being let go, who's staying, who's being promoted, who's being moved overseas to, you know, head up a whole new department, a whole new project. Like there's always multiple people being discussed. So you need to find what makes you different different and the relationships you have are a key way to do that so yeah thanks for sharing that experience with us definitely (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) okay guys well that is where we are going to leave this episode we hope you're feeling inspired empowered hopefully not enraged we just wanted to you know (laughs) shed some perspective on these topics and to you know empower you to take control of your career. And I hate this saying, but I love it at the same time is just playing the game. And uh, honestly, if Mm. we can insert, you know, the clip from Hustlers, the very last line JLo says, I would love that so much. (laughs) How, you know, we're all just hustling and some people just learn to do the dance or whatever it is. And I think that's exactly what this episode's all about is it sucks that there's games out there, but there are. So we're going to learn mm-hmm. how to play and that's what's going to get us, you know, to wherever we want to go. So all of that being said, we drop a new episode every single Tuesday. We love these career episodes. We drop them, you know, every now and again. We know you guys also love them. So make sure you are subscribed to us and following us to see when they drop. But we have new episodes every Tuesday. You can also find us on social media. We're at our golden twenties on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Pinterest. We have Spotify playlists, some really cozy fall playlists coming up. Mm -hmm. And we're also on Patreon, which is the best way to support the podcast. You get exclusive content, can listen to episodes early, all that fun stuff you can find on our Patreon community. So definitely go check it out. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.